0: Okay, so let's get straight into our conversation then uh, for the next half hour or so. We'll be raising awareness on the issue of diabetes in South Africa. And this conversation is one that's brought to you by Boringer Engelheim. And some important questions around diabetes are going to be answered. And uh, let me welcome on the line Dr. Michael Klein, who is a medical director at Boringa Ingleham, and uh, Dr. Sindeep Bahbana, who is a specialist physician and endocrinologist. Uh, Good morning to both of you. Good
1: Good morning and thank you.
0: It's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, Dr. Klein, maybe let me begin with you. Uh, why do did you feel that it was important to raise awareness around diabetes and have this conversation, especially this time of the year?
1: So, um, oh, there are a number of, uh, of, of reasons. Firstly, mm. um, thanks for, for allowing us to be on the show. The, um, recently, we celebrated World Diabetes Day um, just a few weeks ago. And uh, the reason for that is that we know that whilst diabetes is not, uh, uh, many would say it's not a global pandemic per se, but the rate of growth of this condition, um, it's certainly a, a critical global health burden. And so raising awareness is certainly a very a key element uh, in the management of, of diabetes. So raising awareness both of of the condition, but also the evolution of the science and how the data has evolved. Um, So for those managing diabetes, the healthcare practitioners in South Africa, that's quite critical, but also for patients, being aware of what treatment options are available and what they can be doing to manage their conditions is obviously quite critical.
0: And it's important for us to begin with, I suppose, A a reflection of what the lay of the land looks like currently in terms of diabetes in the country. The last time I checked, it seemed to be women that suffered the most from diabetes, including type 2 diabetes. But uh, you guys are better placed to to give us that context in terms of how the uh, disease is spreading and what the patterns of this, uh, this disease in the country are. Uh, I, I don't know, I, either Dr. Klein or Dr. Banner, either of you can can go for that question.
2: Sure, okay, then let me come in. Thank you for having me on the program. So, in terms of, uh, so it's, it's not a disease that is spreading, it's, uh, because it's not infective. You can't pass it on from one person to the other. Type uh, 2 diabetes is a disease uh, that has a genetic background to it, so people are at risk. Of getting it and then of course as we get older lifestyle becomes a problem where uh, we tend to overeat uh, mainly from a carbohydrate and sugar perspective and people become overweight and then as we get older we become sedentary as well and that then makes it a potent uh, um, combination of things genetics lack of uh, activity and too much carbohydrates predisposes us to having uh, diabetes, uh, a problem of having high sugar level. And so, uh, the reason why I think we're sitting with a problem is that uh, worldwide obesity and being overweight is becoming an epidemic. And if you look at South Africa, it's no different. In fact, uh, the, the, the stats look graver for us. Uh, 70% of our females are either overweight or obese in this country, and about 30% of males are overweight or obese. So, Because obesity, um, diabetes basically follows uh, what's happening with obesity, our females are at a higher risk of uh, type 2 diabetes. So that's why our females um, have more diabetes than our males. But regardless, it's a problem with both genders. I Mm. mean, we're sitting with a prevalence of close on to 13% reported uh, uh, by the IDF. And if you look at the World Health Organization in 2016, it was close on to 10%. And these are uh, horrific numbers. I mean, they they, uh, pale uh, uh, the HIV uh, uh, stats in this country, and Mm. uh, I'm taking nothing away from HIV. I mean, it's an important condition. Uh, You know, uh, it's been put on the forefront in the last decade, but the number of patients with diabetes uh, far outnumber patients with TB and HIV in this country.
0: I want to get into the risk factors in, the, in, in a moment, but perhaps just the clarity from you, um, Dr. Bana, about the differences between type 1 and type 2 diabetes.
2: All right, so that's an excellent question. So type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition. So uh, the body produces an army of cells that attack the pancreas, and the pancreas is where insulin is made. And so typically this is a young patient they uh, thin and they present in a catastrophic manner in, a, in other words, they're normally presenting with uh, in a very sick uh, precomatose or comatose way and um, that's a completely different condition to what we're discussing today, which is type 2 diabetes that is mainly lifestyle related and so um That's the one that is uh, growing at an uh, epidemic uh, proportion. Uh, That is the one that is uh, uh, potentially preventable. And that is the one we should shed light on in terms of bringing more awareness to this condition. And I'll tell you why. Because if you take the number of people worldwide dying from HIV, TB, malaria, and road accident deaths, It pales in comparison to the number of people that die of type 2-related conditions. So uh, that's why we all need to become aware of this condition, which is definitely preventable. Mm.
0: Dr. Klein, when I listen to what um, some of the prevalence rates is and how diabetes is affecting men and women differently, especially in South Africa, does that mean that women are more susceptible um, to type 2 diabetes?
1: So, um, yeah, it's it's also an an excellent question. I think um, one shouldn't lose sight of the fact of uh, what underpins uh, the development of diabetes. Mm. And so if we're talking about type 2 diabetes, generally it's uh, one way of thinking about it is it's a disease of of insulin resistance. And so obviously diet and lifestyle factors become quite crucial in the management of this. Um, In terms of uh, uh, lifestyle Clearly, um, we should start looking at overweight, sedentary populations, um, the risk levels do certainly increase. I think, just speaking, following on from Dr. Barner's points, mm. the, um, the, the, the misconceptions that often uh, drive the complexity associated with managing diabetes are, are very simple ones. It's, it's things like, um, uh, I have no symptoms, so my condition can't be serious, or mm. I don't. Uh, feel ill so i don't need to take my tablets and then the other common misconception is uh, complications only occur in, in uh, patients who take insulin i think what the mm-hmm. the data is showing is that beyond what people commonly think of as the complications associated with diabetes like blurred vision uh, possibly uh, developing to you know to getting a stroke for example amputations uh, what we are now realizing is that more than two thirds of people with diabetes will die of heart disease, of cardiovascular disease, mm-hmm. and over a third, in fact, up to 37 percent of patients with type two diabetes will have chronic kidney disease. So that the, the, the fact that um, heart and kidney disease is very strongly correlated uh, with with diabetes is significant, and uh, and those, of course, span the genders. So, you know it's not one shouldn't um, think that this is restricted uh, or affects predominantly one of those genders. Mm.
0: so so effectively, when one is when one has diabetes, whether or not they've been diagnosed, it opens the door and puts them at risk for um other cardiovascular diseases.
1: Absolutely correct. Um, and so what what makes things exciting for us, in uh, as we see new data evolve and develop is that there's been this recognition, there's almost been this paradigm shift uh, in the thinking around diabetes where previously the focus was on, you know, let's make sure we can manage that blood sugar. Now there's a recognition that that's one component of it. Mm. But by appropriately managing diabetes, we could actually reduce somebody's uh, risk of dying or of developing um, uh, complications related to that, reducing their risk of heart failure or, or progressing on to to kidney failure. Mm. So that paradigm shift um so they sometimes refer to as macrovascular complications. I think there's been this recognition that our interventions need to be making a difference in those those hard endpoints if you like. And so when these newer interventions and newer drugs are being evaluated you know what they do in that regard becomes quite
0: uh, quite important, mm. Dr. Banner, I want to uh, you know build on on something that uh, Dr. Klein has raised, and that's the issue of insulin resistance. And often it's uh, not well understood. Uh, you know, you'll be sitting at home and you'll see a TV ad about insulin resistance, and you know you're being offered different types of medication, uh, over the counter medication to take for it. But what is insulin resistance, and Uh, How much of a risk does that create for developing uh, a disease like type 2 diabetes?
2: Excellent question.
0: So, you know,
2: um, sugar is both an important nutrient for the body to obviously get its energy, but of course it's uh, quite dangerous as well. So uh, the hormone insulin then manages uh, sugar levels in the body. Now, Normally, uh, insulin will be secreted by the pancreas and the glucose or the sugar then gets used and um, the rest of it gets stored in the body. Now, if for whatever reason, it's genetics, it's lifestyle, it's being overweight, the body becomes resistant to the message that insulin is to deliver, then we consider the body be having insulin resistance. And that happens at the cellular level, at the level of the liver, at the muscle cells, at the fat cells, where these organs were supposed to take up the sugar and they don't. And that means your blood sugar levels go up and the high sugar level then causes damage. And Dr. Klein uh, very elegantly pointed out that the problem with diabetes is that a lot of people don't feel sick till it's too late. And that. Uh, when the sugar levels are a bit high, they don't feel sick like they feel with TB or with HIV or with the stroke. Or, and so this condition goes on silently for a long time before the patient actually becomes aware that something's wrong. And by the time they pick, pick up that something's wrong, a lot of these patients already have some complications. So we know that about 60% of people still remain undiagnosed with the type 2 diabetes in this country and so the numbers i gave you earlier are only the ones that we know of and so dr crane spoke about some of the complications we get microvascular complications where the small vessels of the body are affected and that can cause visual problems and blindness it can affect the small vessels of the kidney which can end up causing uh, kidney failure and the patient requiring dialysis Um, There can be problems with the small vessels of the feet, and they can cause uh, uh, infections and amputations. But the major problem is the cardiovascular problem, uh, where uh, these patients are at a higher risk of heart attack, strokes, and cardiac failure. Mm -hmm. And for that, uh, we need a slightly different approach to what we were doing in the past, we know that even when we bring sugar levels under control, that we mitigate a lot of the microvascular complications that I spoke about, but we don't do too much about the heart attack and the strokes. And that's why it's quite exciting that in the last decade we've got a whole lot of new molecules, new drugs that address this cardiac failure issue, uh, the issue of heart attacks and uh, I- I- in some way with strokes as well. And not only that, um, it also improves uh, kidney functions. So it becomes exciting uh, to be a mm. diabetologist or an endocrinologist uh, since the last decade because we're finally doing something about the heart attack and, and the strokes, or are we're we capable mm. of doing something mm. about it. Of course, if the r- right drugs are chosen and... Um, the patient is treated holistically Mm. so that's insulin resistance in a nutshell it's about addressing um, the cholesterol that's related to patients with type 2 diabetes it's about managing the hypertension the high blood pressure which uh, closely uh, uh, is linked to type 2 diabetes and then obviously managing the sugar level and the weight as
0: well Does the size of one's waistline automatically de- de- determine whether or not they are developing or have developed a resistance to insulin?
2: Yes, no excellent question yes it it is so eighty five percent of people that are overweight uh, have insulin resistance and those are the people that are at high risk of developing type two diabetes. And so waste is certainly one of the criteria that we use uh, for insulin resistance. And in fact, uh, something we call the metabolic syndrome.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: so uh, the waistline obviously differs and, um, Uh, you know, different uh, countries use different criteria. But if you follow the IDF, the International Diabetes Federation uh, guidelines, then certainly uh, waste uh, plays an important role. And there's uh, a a level for males and females. And then um, it's uh, affected by um, ethnic groups as well. But certainly waste is vitally important. And uh, I mean, it's worrying that in this country, 13% uh, 13% of our youth are overweight or obese. That's mm. double the rate uh, that is seen mm. in the world. So, and we know that if you're an obese or an overweight child, you're going to be an obese or overweight adult. Mm. And that's why 70% of our females are overweight or obese. And that waistline definitely speaks to insulin resistance.
0: Dr. Sindeep Bana is a specialist physician and endocrinologist. We're also in conversation with Dr. Michael Klein, who is the medical director at Boehringer Ingelheim. Uh, we're raising awareness on the issue of diabetes. Both doctors are going to stay on the line. We're going to be taking your calls. Uh, this is after the 11.30 news headlines. Uh, the numbers to use this morning... You can also WhatsApp us on 0614-104-107. On Twitter, it's at SFM Radio. the hashtag SFM Talking Point. I'll also take your SMSs on 41391. Utile Sako has your news headlines.
1: The Talking Point with Kathy
2: Mosasana, weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday.
0: Well, we're con- uh, continuing with our conversation on diabetes this morning. I'm joined by uh, Dr. Michael Klein, who is a medical director at Boringa Engelheim, and Dr. Sandeep Banner. He's a specialist physician and endocrinologist. Uh, some callers on the line. Uh, just double-checking, check- double Dr. Uh, Klein and Dr. Banner, you can still hear me?
2: Yeah, we still
0: hear. Okay, great. Uh, yes, yes, we
2: can.
0: Fantastic. Let me go to Nomsa in the East Strand. Nomsa, good morning. <laughs>
3: Um, good morning, Kathy. How are you? I'm all
0: right, Namsa, Go for it.
3: Um, thanks. Um, that's a very, very interesting topic. Mm. And um, unfortunately, in our country, I think one of our biggest problems is with healthcare messaging. You know, because right now, um, mm. even if you advise somebody on a diet that they need to follow, um, one of the things is that the sugar is hidden under the glycemic index. Mm. So a lay person would not understand what that means. Um, I saw on Twitter the other day, there's a country overseas, I can't remember what it was, but uh, they've decided to have the um, the nutritional um, information that you find on the side of the packet written in front exactly where the the product that you are buying is written. Mm. I think we need to keep healthcare information very simple for a lay person to understand. If they are taking um, those conflicts or um those rice patties
0: they know exactly how much sugar is in there you know Namsa that that's such an important point because I also feel like you know you, you need almost a bit of a lesson until I spoke to dietitians I didn't really even understand how to read that nutritional information correctly you know and and you're right about the amount of sugars uh, that are hidden under there under your syrup and your glucose and your whatever else uh, that manufacturers might call it uh, that we might be overlooking as consumers of these products uh, dr I don't know if you want to come in here.
1: Yeah, look, I think uh, you raise an excellent point, uh, Nansa. So um, it raises the question of um, how multiple stakeholders in healthcare in South Africa not only um, understand, digest, and interrogate the science, but how we communicate that science. In, a, in an easy, simple way to consumers. Mm. And so it, I guess the, the, the key point here is that, um, to the point you've just raised, is, is there are critical stakeholders uh, involved in the management of this. So having a dietitian that you could speak to, uh, uh, understanding the messaging, making sure there's simplicity in messaging becomes becomes quite important. And so you know, it's not one stakeholder kind of going it alone. And I think the more we collaborate um you know i think we help by the fact that uh communication in general has increased uh, over the years with uh, with not just the, the formal media but also the, the sort of social media platforms mm, mm. So i'm sorry dr
3: Bada. i'm sorry to cut sorry, you ahead. off but as a country we've done this before if you go to a cigarette counter to buy cigarettes Just on your front uh, package, it tells you that cigarette kills. It's Mm. not for pregnant women. Mm. So what I'm calling for from the Diabetic and Endocrine Society of South Africa is that we need you guys to be healthcare activists as well. Whether you're going to fight for your patients or for the population, is that the nutritional content that is written must be in simple language. It must be in front of the packaging a person must know very well the content of sugar that goes in there, the content of fat that goes in there. Mm Because right now, a lot of lay people do not understand what a glycemic index is. That's number one. Number two, go to any district hospital. You will only find one dietitian. And all dietitians are concentrating on pediatrics, you know, because we have a malnutrition problem in the country. So right now, the issue is we can do better, We've done it before, even with syphilis. You know, you don't find the nutritional contents. You know, if somebody is buying Hansa's gold, they should know there's sugar in there. Mm. You know, mm. and it should just be clear because we are going to find a lot of amputations that have nothing to do with wars or uh, with accidents. Mm.
0: All right in. Nomsa thanks for calling in and for raising uh, that very very important issue and i think some uh, great suggestions coming through from you William in the free can state y- yes yes go you can you can come in you can yeah. come in but dr Banna. no
2: nomsa nomsa made an excellent point there but we mustn't forget that yes you can rely on your medical society and it is actually the endocrine society um through one of its uh, members that actually fought for the sugar tax in this country. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, but it it was obviously a long battle, but I think this points to also the importance of patient advocacy. It is the people that are actually living with type one and type two diabetes that need to take the battle to government, to the legislators, uh, to uh, the industry, because these are the people that are actually buying the product. And Mm -hmm. that's where the demand needs to be made. So yes, I think the battle needs to be fought by the Dietetic Society of South Africa, by Diabetes South Africa, which is uh, a patient advocacy group, by certainly by the doctors uh, managing diabetes, uh, uh, but uh, in the Department of Health as well. And and she's perfectly correct in saying that there's a lot of words in that label that the layperson is not going to understand. The euphemisms that we use for sugar, uh, fructose, sucrose, Mm. maltose, Mm. corn syrup, Dextrin. It's all hidden. And um, the battle, if, if we all wait for the doctors to take this battle, it's going to take another decade. Um, and just like cigarettes have a warning um, and alcohol have a warning, uh, there needs to be a warning for sugar as well. But it's a battle that we all need to fight. From the level of our schools where the parents need to make sure that whatever is sold in tuck shops uh, is fine uh, to um, label it. And it's going to be a long battle, and it's a battle that's never going to be over. Um, But I think we all need to partake in that, and she's absolutely right.
0: Mm. The, the the school tuck shops one is of course a, a very very big issue and I know that many school governing bodies contend with it right um, yeah thanks for thanks for raising that issue we actually need to have a separate conversation on what is being sold to children at tuck shops I'm also just thinking about the amount of fit cooks and um, got us bunny chows that are sold uh, William in the free state good morning.
2: Good morning, Kathy. Kathy, the mm. question that I wanted to ask, uh, if one is a type two diabetes, uh, you've been taking for it for a long time, can it, can it be uh, it disappear from your blood? At some stage, That you know, maybe the doctor say no, no, don't take tablets tablet anymore. So that's the question that is possible.
0: Okay, all and right. And what are the effects? Okay, William, thanks for that question. Uh, I'm not sure who wants to take it. Between Maybe a, let me take
3: this sure, let me take go for this it.
0: one
2: mm. um, so type 2 diabetes is reversible
0: certainly if
2: you pick it up early you get the patient and there's lots of work now being done world over to say if you get that weight down between 15 and 30% so in other words if a patient weighing a uh, and 20 kilos and they lose between 24 and 36 kilos definitely uh, you can reverse that diabetes if the person is willing to change that lifestyle. They certainly can, from a dietetic perspective, eating correctly, exercising, uh, uh, burning that weight off. We know this from bariatric uh, surgery studies, where patients that are uh, morbidly obese uh, with type 2 diabetes uh, go for bariatric surgery and they lose 30 to 40 percent of their weight over the next six uh, months to, uh, to to a year they manage to reverse their diabetes. And, of course, the important thing is to then maintain it. So, yes, that's an extreme example where bariatric surgery has been shown to reverse diabetes, but there's a lot of new drugs that have come on the market, and if we use it early enough with our patient being active managers of Mm -hmm. their weight and their exercise, it can certainly, in the early phases,
0: Beautiful. All right, Dr. Banna, I'm going to yeah, have to leave did. it there. Uh, Dr. Klein, I'm going to take a quick break. I'll give you a chance to uh, also give your thoughts after this.
1: the conversation. Hashtag SFM Talking Point.
0: We're wrapping up our conversation focusing on diabetes this morning. Of course, uh, we've been joined by Dr. Michael Klein and Dr. Cindy Bana. Uh, perhaps just a moment to give both of you uh, an opportunity to wrap up this conversation. Uh, Dr. Klein, let me begin with you.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that um, if I were to if I were to leave, uh, maybe three positive messages. Um, the sort of silver linings behind this cloud of diabetes, they'd be the following. <clears throat> the first would be type 2 diabetes can be prevented. Uh, the second would be it certainly can be reversed. And the third would be that the risk of complications can be reduced. And, uh, you know, we have, in addition to diet and exercise, you know, there there are various tools that have been put into our armamentarium that assist us in that um, and obviously the most exciting recent being these newer classes of drugs, and I'm thinking specifically of the, what's referred to as the sodium glucose transported 2 class, the SGLT2s, that actually uh, are changing treatment guidelines uh, in reducing the risk of these uh, complications like heart failure and, and kidney, kidney disease and kidney failure.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Dr. Bana.
2: I think the message I'd like to leave with the audience is that um, I think every person should aspire as an adult to have a waist circumference of around 80 centimeters if you're female and below 94 centimeters if you're male. And that's something that is doable by by us as the adult population in South Africa. Number two, uh, we need to become uh, bigger advocates Uh, for ourselves, especially in terms of preventing diabetes amongst the adults and for our children. And uh, the advocacy group needs to take the battle to the legislators. And um, number three is that I think everybody should have their sugar levels tested. It's easy. It can be done at pharmacies. It can be done as general practitioners. um, And it's easily available. And everybody should know their sugar level, um, their blood pressure levels, and their cholesterol levels, and their waistline. (laughs)
0: Thank <laughs> you. Let me thank you both for being part of this conversation today. Dr. Cindy Barna is a specialist physician and endocrinologist, and Dr. Michael Klein is the medical director at Boringa Engelheim. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, we pay close attention to that Brackenfell High School racism report. Uh, we'll be joined in that conversation by uh, one of the analysts, that's Dr. Mandisi Majavu, who's a Senior lecturer in the Department of Political and International Studies at Rhodes.